Hello, my name's Vernon Brewer. I'm the president of World Help and a graduate of Liberty University. And today we're talking about the role of compassion ministries and fulfilling the Great Commission. And I want to call your attention to a passage of Scripture in Matthew, uh, chapter 9, and uh, verse 35. It says that Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. One third of Jesus' ministry was healing every kind of illness and sickness. Jesus had compassion. And if we follow his model, you and I must also take into account compassion ministries in, in presenting the gospel. You know, uh, when I was growing up, there were two extremes as far as missions and fulfilling the Great Commission. On one side, there were those who said, all you must do is just evangelize, proclaim the good news of the gospel, and don't worry about meeting the physical needs of hurting people. It's the most important thing is to get them saved. Then on the other side, mostly liberals, were those who uh, emphasized meeting the, the physical needs of mankind, but not so much the spiritual needs. And the model of Jesus in the New Testament is Jesus did both simultaneously. And notice in this passage, when he saw the multitudes, when he saw these crowds that were following him, he was moved with compassion. You know, when we see that word compassion in Matthew 9, uh, it would be easy to think of that as simply having pity for someone or simply feeling sorry for someone. Uh, but the Bible defines uh, compassion far more uh, than just pity or feeling sorry. That word in the original Greek, compassion, means to suffer together with someone. And that's what Jesus did when he touched the eyes of the blind and he touched the legs of the lame and he healed the sick and raised the dead, Jesus was doing that with compassion. And 10 times in the New Testament, we read that Jesus was moved with compassion and all 10 times occurred when Jesus was confronted with death, the disease and the plight of the homeless. And uh, my my favorite definition of compassion is uh, one that originated right after World War II when Billy Graham and Robert Pierce, who Robert Pierce was the founder of World Vision, and they were in the country of Korea and saw the, the plight of thousands and thousands of Korean orphan children. And uh, Bob Pierce made a statement that's now famous. Uh, he said, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. And that's my definition of compassion. I, I am not a compassionate person. When I wake up in the morning, I have one overriding thought, and it's this. How quickly can I get caffeine into my system 
because until I've had about three cups of coffee, I'm not even human, let alone alive. I'm just like you. I think about my family, my needs. I think about me. And apart from the Holy Spirit, you and I cannot exhibit compassion. So every day, sometimes multiple times a day, I find myself praying, Lord, let my heart be broken with the things that break your heart. Let me see this world through your eyes. And I will never forget the day God taught me the importance of evangelism and compassion ministries. Uh, I was uh, vice president of Liberty University at the time. Uh, some of you may not know this, but I'm the first graduate of Liberty uh, way back in the day. And later I came back to be on uh, faculty and staff uh, for 10 years. And it was back in the 1980s when there was a great famine in Ethiopia. And I took a trip of, with Liberty University students to Kenya and we I chartered a, a little airplane and went to, up to the across uh, the equator and went up to the Ethiopian border and landed on a little gravel runway and got out and it was over 120 degrees and a, a, a black African pastor met me in his Land Rover and as we landed I saw a village of grass huts off in the distance and I asked my guide if he would if we had time to go visit that village and and he said of course and I had just survived a battle with cancer my doctors didn't want me to go to Africa they said be careful what you eat be careful what you touch your, your immune system is compromised just please be careful and so when we got to that village it was about noon it was hot there was not a sign of life anywhere and I went up to one of these grass huts that was round and and I stuck my head in to, to see if there was anybody in there and I saw a little nine-year-old girl I probably scared her to death, and uh, it was a pitiful sight. All she had on was a pair of pants, and her hair was matted, and her nose was running, and she had open sores, and there were flies everywhere, and, it, and the stench was terrible. And I literally was repulsed by that sight, and all I could think of was my doctor's words, be careful what you touch, and I just took a giant step backwards and went, ugh. And when I did, the Spirit of God convicted me in a way I had never experienced before. And I heard the still, small voice of God say to me, wait just a minute. Who do you think you are? Do you see that little girl? I love that little girl just as much as I love your little girls back home. In fact, I love that little girl so much I sent my son to die for that little girl, and I have commanded you to love that little girl also. You say, well, did you hear all that in stereo, in surround sound? The Spirit of God was convicting me, and partly out of guilt and, and partly out of impulse, I just reached forward and grabbed that little girl and picked her up and gave her such a fright and I couldn't speak her language and she couldn't speak mine, but I communicated in the international language of love. And while I was touching that diseased little girl, I was communicating to her my love. And an interesting thing happened while I was 
holding that little girl out from that hut came her mother and father and her siblings and her grandparents. I, I couldn't imagine getting so many people in that hut. And not only that hut, but all the huts in that village were emptied out. And within minutes, I was surrounded by about 200 people, African nomads of the Turkana tribe. And I looked out and saw a, a, a man who was blind. And, and next to him was was someone who had a tumor on their neck about the size of a grapefruit and, and saw one person that had elephantitis and his leg was swollen two or three times its normal size. And I literally looked into the eyes of the blind and the diseased and the lame and my heart was broken with the things that break the heart of God. I turned to my pastor friend and said, do we have anything we could give these people? And he said, well, I have a case of cornmeal in the back of my Land Rover, and there were just enough five-pound bags of cornmeal to give each family one bag. You would have thought it was Christmas. There was a drought. There was a famine. I saw women on their knees in a dry riverbed digging with their fingers to to find water and, and they told me that if they do find water it would be contaminated and do more harm than good. And they were trucking water in 80 kilometers one way every day just to keep this tribe alive. And they said to me, we need water, will you help us? And so I went and met with the government officials and found out that they needed to drill wells. I didn't even ask how much it cost, I said we'll do it. And I remember coming home telling Jerry Falwell that we needed to, to raise money for wells in, in Africa because of the drought. And he said, I could take an offering in convocation, and we did, and took up enough money in one offering to drill those wells. And not only that, 10 students stepped forward and said, we want to take a semester out of school and go there and oversee this. And and, and they called themselves the Liberty Pioneers. And, and after that semester, another group of 10 took their place and another group the next semester. And after three years, those Liberty students had not only drilled the wells, they had built a clinic, they had built a church. And every one of those members of that tribe in that village had become followers of Jesus Christ. And I learned an important lesson that day, that it's not just evangelism, it's not just compassion, but the model of Jesus is let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Uh, there's an incredible book that I recommend to you as a supplemental text for this course. It's by Christian Buckley and Ryan Dobson. It's Humanitarian Jesus, Social Justice and the Cross. I just want to read a passage from this book to you. It says, in 1854, Charles Spurgeon began preaching in London. The city was engulfed in such poverty and social injustice that just a decade later, another London minister, William Booth, left his pulpit and walked out into the streets, founding what would become the Salvation Army to reach the poor, homeless, hungry, and destitute. It was in this London town that on June 18, 1876, that Spurgeon preached the following words. Men have enough practical sense, 
always to judge that if a professed Christians do not care for their bodily wants, there cannot be much sincerity in their zeal for souls. If a man will give me spiritual bread in the form of a track, but would not give me a piece of bread for my body, how can I think much of him? He said, if you want to give a hungry man a track, then wrap it up in a sandwich. The hungry need food, but we all need redemption. The blind need sight, but we all need to see our condition and our separation from God. Every encounter between God and us has two dimensions, the physical and the spiritual. It's not either or. Jesus' motto was both. Thank you very much.